I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Tristan Reese, a transgender white man in a monogamous gay marriage who's 35 years old. Tristan is best known for conceiving and giving birth to a baby with his husband, Biff. You can find them online at biffandi.com. While Tristan has been living as a man for the past 15 years, he was raised throughout his teenage years as a female. That gives him an intimate understanding of both sides of the gender spectrum, including insight into which aspects are biological or hormonal and which are societal. Our conversation went on for well over an hour, and there's so much good stuff that we didn't have space to include in this episode. But you're going to want to hear the whole thing. So now is the time to head over to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to access all of the full uncut interviews featured on this show. And now I am so pleased to introduce Tristan. Tristan, thank you for doing this today. No problem. So excited to be talking to you. (laughs) So my first question for everybody I talk to is... What is your first memory of sexual desire? Oh, V.C. Andrews. Oh, man. Flowers of the Attic? Not one of those, but one of the like sequels. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I was a voracious reader as a child. Yeah. Um, and so I think it would just make sense that like that's where it could exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and then when you're reading, kind of like the... You know, you're filling in so much of the story for yourself, which is, I think, great for young people, because then you're able to go as far as your brain can imagine, but not far enough that it's traumatizing in the way that I think being exposed to porn where everything is like literally right there. um, I think it's a, uh, it felt to me, it felt very like innocent and healthy. Uh huh. Yeah. And let me also say, I am almost certain to ask some questions that are inappropriate oh, or to fine. say things that are inappropriate. Please tell me. I will just lovingly correct you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sure. Um, so do you, when you think back onto those early experiences of desire, mm-hmm. do you identify them as masculine desire or feminine desire? No. No, not, not either. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, even in those, like reading the scenes or whatever, it was just about the chemistry that two people have for each other. Um, and it was also like, you know, it's written by, they were written by a woman. So it was very much about the, the man as well. And I've always been attracted to and interested in men from as 
early as I can possibly remember. So I think that was also part of it was it wasn't necessarily a woman that was in that situation, but it was a, a situation involving a man and uh-huh. sex. <laughs> Yay, sex. <laughs> well, even then, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it's uh, literature. So it isn't even like super graphic, but it was just, you know, like innocent stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't ever see it as being one or the other. Yeah. Do you have memories of feeling something that you can define as feminine sexual desire? I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, I guess I'll say this. It wasn't until I started transitioning and pumping my body full of testosterone that I really, I think, first had the what maybe categorizes a more masculine sexual desire, which is, um, and not like, not to insult men, but this is my own experience, how testosterone affected me was the desire to possess. So as opposed to, I am with you, we're, we're creating pleasure between the two of us, but like, I see something that is attractive and I want it. And that was like a huge and very bizarre shift for me. Yeah. And you can date that to the testosterone. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there is like a, Again, like, I don't want to be reductionist, but that, um, the feeling of like wanting to conquer. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a hill to climb. (laughs) This is a problem to solve. This is a person that I want to notice me and then have sex with me. Yeah. (laughs) So that I can say that I did it. Yeah. (laughs) And that is that, like, that sort of conquest type of a feeling was a completely physiological experience. That is fascinating. So weird. Yeah. I I often think about how trans people are the only ones who can really explain the gender divide to us because you are the only people who have experienced it on both sides. Yeah. And I think that the only part where that starts to feel problematic is Uh some trans people were like, no, I never had a female sexuality. Okay. I was a boy just in this different kind of body. And I don't feel that way. I feel like, okay, maybe, but what can I learn from that experience of, okay, having the body where estrogen was the primary hormone in my body. And I was also socialized and treated by the world as a woman. Uh So for me, that's indistinguishable from, yes, I do see that I was a girl. I do see that I was a young woman. And then I do see that I transitioned and now I'm living my life as a man. Uh How old were you when you transitioned? Like, I mean, transition is like a murky process. You know, there are like lots of stages. (laughs) Um, but like, I think about it more like in the like 18 to 22 range. Uh-huh. So I was a young adult. Okay. So you had a good chunk of years when you were, like you said, socialized as a female. That's right. And, and, you know, dating certainly and falling in love as a girl. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I do think that I've had, you know, both of those experiences. So can, what are the differences between falling in love as a female and falling in love as a male? Um, the experience of falling in love is no different. Um, but there are lots of dynamics that are very different yeah. and felt really frustrating and new for me post transition uh-huh. because there, for me, I really appreciated, um, the dynamic of, um, of being with a man who is strong that I'm like, cool, you got this, like feeling safe. And the world is already a big, scary place yeah. and just feeling like, at night, you know, I could sort of like be with someone and there was that more like caretaker thing. And quite frankly, I appreciated the ability to utilize a certain manipulative power that came from, you know, the men that I was with wanted sex more than I did. 
And so that sort of meant like, okay, well, I have a piece of leverage in this relationship. Um, hopefully not in an unhealthy way, but just there's a dynamic there Yeah, that I'm like, okay, I have a certain leverage. Um, and then also I really appreciated that, like I could wear a certain thing and like, boom, like there's desire. Huh. Yeah. And like, that is not true in my current relationship at all. He didn't give a shit what I wear. Huh. And so I can't just like put on something sexy and be like, you know, (laughs) how's this? He's like, I mean, if you think that that underwear looks good, that's great. But I don't care about that. (laughs) And I'm not able to manipulate him in the same ways. And is that, do you think, uh, um, a facet of your particular relationship or is it a facet of it being a, a male, male relationship? I think both. Yeah. Um, what I have observed is that the, the just the power dynamic is so different between two men. Yeah. And I think that's when I, you know, I start to see a frustration with sort of like the modern ideas of, um, gender equality is because you see a movie like call me by your name uh-huh. and people where it's an older man and a younger man. And people were like, oh, sure, that's fine if it's two men. But what if it was a man and a woman? That would be considered manipulative. And I'm like, cool, it's not. It's not between a man and a woman. The dynamic is different. The social dynamic is different. Um, And for me, having been a young woman, the lengths that I would go to impress and please and not upset a man, there was no limit. Can you talk more about that? I mean, even in my like feminist family... I still feel like it was my job to make my partner happy, content, whatever. Um, and if I was always scared to say like, oh, I don't like that. or I want to do something different because it always felt like, well, he'll just break up with me and find some girl who will do those things. Yes. <laughs> so I just had to do those things. Yes. And I think the expectations put on men are so different. <laughs> They're so different. And gay male culture... Like before you sometimes even meet each other in person, you've already been texting back and forth saying, I'm willing to do this. I'm not willing to do this. Oh, cool. Then we're not a match. Bye. Huh. Instead of like, well, I'm here with a man who quite frankly could probably hurt me if I don't end up being into whatever he's into. Yes. So you just kind of go along with it. And like, that's not gay male culture at all, at all. They just have no problem saying, you know, I'll do this, but not that. Uh, I'm not into this, but I'm willing to try it with you. Like that's all on the table uh-huh. at way ahead of time, way ahead of time. And in the moment, dudes have no problem being like, yeah, this isn't working for me. Let's do something else. Huh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I could never imagine doing that as a young woman. And even, I mean, it really is frustrating to my partner because there are still some times when I'll say, you know, I don't actually like that thing. And he'll be like, well, we've been together for eight years. Why didn't you tell me eight years ago? And I'm like, I, I'm so sorry, but it's really hard for me to say, I don't like that. Or I'd rather be doing this, yeah. which he wasn't socialized as a girl. So he was like, what, why? Yeah. You don't trust me. Like I should be a safe person that you can come to me and say, I don't actually want to do that thing ever again. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I need you to just step out of your own experience and imagine what it may be like to have been told that your um, your pleasure is actually not important in a sexual relationship. Yes, <laughs> and that's just like it's like impossible for him to imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Is this, um, you know, when you 
when you or I get myself into a situation um, where maybe a no has to be said, especially when a no has to be said after a yes has been said. Totally. And brings up so much fear about, I have to figure out a way to say no that makes it okay for them so that they don't get angry at me and attack me. And I end up being the one who's hurt and physically hurt in this encounter. Or even emotionally hurt. Or that too. I mean, setting down a basic boundary, like I'll do this, but not that. And then having a dude be like, well, I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't be into that. Or like, oh, well, you seem like you would be, or like, oh, well, I, you know, there's like so much defense that all of a sudden you're in that position of comforting them. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, cool. All I did was say this, but not that. <laughs> yes. It's not like I told you that your dick is small. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yes. but I will say the flip side of that is now having inhabited a body that I would consider to be a man's body for like 15 years, it also really sucks. Like being completely governed by your hormones. It completely sucks to, to have to navigate the world and navigate your relationship, having physical needs that are far greater than your partner's. And having it feel really, really hurtful when someone rejects you in that way. And even though, of course, it's just somebody saying, I don't want to do that thing. It's really hard not to feel like, like, like an attack and like you've done something wrong. Like there's so much shame too for men around being able to say, I really want to do this thing. Oh, you don't want to do that? No problem. We'll do something else. Like that is just not a skill that's taught men either. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it sucks. <laughs> It's interesting hearing you talk about the, like, I'll do this and not that mm. conversation in, in gay male cu culture. Um, it's something that I am a wild Dan Savage fan. Totally. <laughs> so, Use your words. <laughs> Use That's your what words. he always yes. says. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he has talked about how, like, gay men must have these conversations at the beginning because there's there no, is no default. There's no default. That's right. Yeah. Um, and... And it's a great part of gay male culture, I think. It's phenomenal. And I really loved navigating gay male culture as a trans man because there was even more of that feeling of like, cool, I don't know anything about what to do. So will you teach me? Will you show me what you like? And it's like, what has literally ever been sexier than someone saying, Show me what you like. Do you know what I mean? Straight yes. men would never do that. Right. Straight men are like, cool. I know exactly what to do. Yes. I got you. <laughs> and it's such a better dynamic embarking upon uh, or entering into a sexual relationship with someone who's like, cool, show me what to do. Yeah. And like, that's super hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something that I think, I mean, there's a lot from, you know, queer cultures that straight people can learn from. And that's definitely one of them. Yeah. What was sex like for you as a female? Was it pleasurable? I mean, so that's difficult because of the timeline. Because you think like who under age 18 is really having mutually beneficial, fulfilling, um, empowered, intimate relationships. That is extremely fair. <laughs> Very few. Yeah. So it's hard for me to parse out like what is like post-transition and hormones, what is like post-transition and feeling really comfortable in my body and able to uh, advocate for myself intimately, and what is just like coming of age, body maturing stuff. I have no idea. Yeah. No idea. Um, but I mean, I think that even in my teen years, 
I feel really comfortable and confident that I had really fun, delightful, mutually respectful explorations with, with boys. Mm-hmm. And I was a girl. I had some that were not that way, uh-huh. but like who hasn't? <laughs> and I've certainly had just as many as a man. Um, did you ever have same sex girl, girl experiences? Yeah, I definitely tried that. And it was not for me. Uh-huh. Um, and certainly in my early years of trying to figure out what the hell I was, like 15 and up, certainly I was like, okay, well, I can't actually be a gay man because I'm a woman. So maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a gay lady. And so like, I definitely tried to have relationships with women. Um, but it was truly, truly like kissing my sister. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? There's just nothing there. Yeah. And I would like them immensely as people and want to hang out with them. And I could see that they were aesthetically pleasing, but there was just like nothing there in terms of my attraction for them. Yeah. Yeah. Just did not work. In the last 15 years, I've been able to come into myself and feeling, and I think even fairly early on in my transition, really like 23, 24 I didn't, I can't ever remember a time where I was like, uh, I wish that I had been born traditionally male. I can only remember times where I was like, cool. So like, I'm super different from other dudes. And like, some guys are really going to be into that. Oh, wow. And so it's what Dan Savage talks about is like, when you have something different about yourself, you don't roll it out. Like it's cancer. You roll it out. Like, Hey, here's something super cool that I'm pretty sure you're going to be into. Yeah. And I figured that out really early on Uh that truly, if you roll out to somebody like, Oh, I have something terrible to tell you. And I don't know if you're still going to like me uh, when I tell you, but I'm transgender, but don't worry. I'll never make you go down there. You know what I mean? If that's how you say it, you are truly positioning someone to be like, oh, oh, I don't know if I'm into that, which is very different than if you roll it out as like, oh, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, I'm trans. So I was born female. So I have probably a different body than you're used to working with. How do you feel about that? Much like way different. Yeah. Because then people are usually, I mean, truly like 90% of the time they're like, oh, Cool. So like, how will that work? And then we're having a sexy conversation right? (laughs) and not a, Hey, I'm pretty sure that you don't want to go on a second date with me conversation. Right. So I found just like, for me, that attitude shift of being like, Hey, here's something really cool. And even then, if it doesn't go well, it's setting them up to be like, Oh, you know, I don't think that's going to work for me. And then you're like, cool. No problem. I assume the next round of drinks is on you then and we'll part ways and maybe I'll see you and we can say hi. You know what I mean? It just sets them up to have the full range of experiences or approaches to it. I feel like that could be such a useful trick or not trick, but a useful tool for us in so many ways. So many ways. And I, that really opened up for me when I was young and I had been in a, a play with, um, with, uh, like I'd been like castmates with a man that was also in the show. Um, and I had actually known that he was HIV positive through some other means. Um, like maybe he was a little bit of an activist or something. Um, but like he, you know, we were sort of interested in each other. And so he's like, oh, you know, after rehearsal next week, do you want to come to coffee with me? I was like, okay. So I'm having the experience of driving to coffee first date with this very cute guy being like, oh God, does he know I'm trans? How am I going to tell him? 
right? He's having a parallel experience. Oh God, does he know I'm HIV positive? How am I going to tell him? Oh wow! So we're literally having parallel experiences coming to this coffee shop, rehearsing in our heads. How am I going to tell him? Is this going to be a big deal? Is he going to be into it or not? Is this going to be a deal breaker or not? And of course I already knew and he already knew. So when we finally got to the date, I had the awkward thing of being like trying to casually put it in conversation, which is how I would always do it uh, in passing. And then they can pick it up if they want and just leave it if they don't. And he had to do the exact same thing about being HIV positive. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Kind of when you have some sort of a body thing that may be different than what people are um, projecting onto you, you do have that thing where you're like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to roll this out? <laughs> yeah. In a way that invites them to have an authentic reaction to it without presuming that it's going to be negative. Even though it's a radically different experience because a woman who carries a lot of weight, like that's just visibly obvious. But I feel like just that internal conversation of, hey, like I have extra flesh for you to grab. Totally. Is a totally different conversation yep. than, are you going to be okay with the fact that I don't have a flat tummy? Right. And I'll also say that the switch is when a person comes into dating someone who is trans or HIV positive or plus size, whatever, when they come in and they see someone who is like confident and assured, they know that this is not emotionally treacherous territory. Yeah. And I know that for my partner, when we first started dating, he said that was one of his biggest fears. Dating a trans person was not my body, but it was more my relationship to my body. Oh. So like, what if I touch you in a way and that's going to freak you out? And it's going to be seen as a violation. And I've hurt you. I didn't mean to, but I didn't know. Yeah. And so I think when I'm able to say like, yeah, cool, I'm trans. And here's the awesome things about that. That does send the message that like, I'm empowered. This is going to be like a super fun experience for both of us. <laughs> it's not going to be treacherous. And I think the same with if you have a plus size body, if you come to someone and say, yeah, look at how amazing I am. They know that you're going to be safe and fun. Yeah. Whereas if you come from a place of shame, they're going to assume there may be a lot of, not that they're not into you the way that you are, but there may be a lot of emotionally treacherous territory here because you haven't done your work. And that may not be, a, you know, a fun, carefree experience. I love that. You know what I mean? Yes. I just love that whole direction of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, I mean, you have to go on a long journey first before you get to that place where you're like, yeah, this is what I bring. And it's awesome. And if you're not into it, too bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you know, there were lots of experiences I had early on where gay men weren't into it and those felt devastating and shameful and heartbreaking at the time. And it was a long time before I could be like, okay, cool. Peace. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. 
Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. The reason that you are known in the world is because you have had a baby. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. It's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that experience of having transitioned to be a man, living your life as a man, having to go off the hormones so that you could get pregnant? Yeah. I mean, I think about it in a couple of ways. There's, of course, the actual physical experience of just like going off of hormones and, and having, um, just having that stabilizing factor physiologically kind of go away for a bit, um, which is very different than sort of like, how did I reconcile my own identity as a man with like being a pregnant person? Yeah. And I do see them as completely different questions. Okay. Um, so and, let's pretend I've asked them both. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. And I, you know, I know lots, I truly in the subculture of, transmasculine people that this is just like not an abnormal thing. This just like happens all the time and people just don't tell anyone. Really? Oh yeah. Hundreds of times all over the world. Yeah. So this is like a thing that has been happening for a long time and there's medical data on it. Really? Of what kind? Oh, showing, uh, both sort of qualitative as well as longitudinal studies Uh looking at hormone use and its effect on birth outcomes, all of those things. Yeah. Truly showing 100% the same birth outcomes. If you stop your hormones and wait for three to five sort of like normal cycles, same exact birth outcomes as anybody else. It's just like hormonal birth control. You stop it, your body kicks back into gear. Yeah. Nothing happens. Those eggs are still sitting in there. Yeah. Which is not what we've been told through certainly the eighties and nineties. And up until I still hear, in fact, I did a, I did, um, I spoke at a GSA summit, like a queer youth summit. And I still had 17 year olds coming up to me saying, my doctor said, if I go on hormones, I can never have a baby. Right. And that renders my uterus an uninhabitable environment. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's just not true. Is there a time period like you can do it for five years and still be? I was on hormones for 15 years. Wow. And so once the baby is born, yeah, you know, you hear about sort of that maternal rush of chemicals that happens the first time that a mother holds her baby. Mm, yeah. What is that like for you? I mean, I don't think that any of that is maternal. Okay. It's chemicals, yeah. but we've ascribed the label of maternal to it. Okay. 
and like just science, the other parent who's in the room has that exact same rush of oxytocin, all of those chemicals, like that's all there. It's new life. You know what I mean? So I don't know why it needs to be maternal or whatever. I think it's your own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was bliss. I mean, just complete, it was just like completely divine, just like this little person. And now he's on my body. It was just amazing. So how long was it before you went back on the hormones? So hormones play like a really intricate role in any healing process in the body for anyone. Um, and scar tissue heals much better with higher levels of testosterone. And so if I'd had a C-section, they would have recommended I go back on testosterone as early as possible because that helps with the healing process. Um, whereas if you have a vaginal birth, estrogen is actually what's primarily responsible for sending all the signals to wet tissues in your body or, or vaginal tissues to heal. So because I'd had a vaginal birth, they said you should wait as long as possible for your body to really heal itself. And they can even see looking at vaginal tissue, what your estrogen levels are like in your body based on the coloring. Yeah. And so like in the postpartum period, we're not going to get checked out. They would like, ah, your estrogen levels are still low. You, you know, you need to stay off of the, you know, don't go back on testosterone for a while until you're a little bit healed up. So just wait for it to heal up. And then uh-huh. I, so maybe like six weeks a month. Uh-huh. No, I mean, six weeks or two months. Did you miss it while you, during the conception and, uh, carrying the baby and then postpartum, did you miss the hormones? Well, I can't say during the pregnancy because there's so much else happening. Sure. Like you can't piece that out. Yeah. Have of everything else. <laughs> um, and even during the conception period, I didn't notice a difference. Biff noticed a difference. He's like, you are very different. And I'm excited to have the old you that I fell in love with back. <laughs> and I do think, you know, uh, testosterone is a, a grounding influence on, on my personality and does help me stay much more even keel, which I appreciate. Even keel, so yeah. not not so moody. Yeah, less yeah. less prone to. I wouldn't say moody because I feel like that's really loaded um, and and feminized. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, access sure. to emotions, but yeah. for myself, what it felt like was just much quicker to anger um, without being able to control it the way that I appreciate being able to do <laughs> impatience. You know, and when you have young kids in the house, they're, they're not young; they're seven and ten, but. Their kids are fucking annoying. (laughs) And I mean, like my son will take a basketball and throw it against the side of the house over and over and over again, sometimes for like two hours. That is so annoying. But when I'm on testosterone, I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. But off of it, those sorts of things would really just like, oh, fuck, you got to stop doing that right now. So that, like, I was much more, oh, yes. Yeah, much, just much more sensitive in general, which I hated. I hated. I really like being able to control things, be a good partner, not snap at my husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he says that, that my energy felt different, that it was less of a, less of a masculine feminine, uh, mas- less of a more masculine dynamic, a little bit more of a feminine dynamic, more, yeah. But I, I didn't feel that. I was just feeling perturbed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So nothing physically really much changed. My beard was the same. My voice was the same. Um, I feel like I've asked all the questions that I know how to ask about, (laughs) 
your experience of female sexuality. So is there anything that you can think of to talk about or questions that would be useful to ask? I don't know that I have much to say on female sexuality per se. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have a seven-year-old daughter, so we're oh. already starting to navigate that. Yeah. So that's interesting. What yeah. do you see watching her grow up? She came to us when she was one and her brother, our other son was three. And even early on, I mean, for me being a trans guy and my partner identifies as femme, um, he's a femme, femme man. And that was really interesting because when she first started coming to live with us, I was like overalls, cargo shorts, jerseys, baseball jerseys, you know, like a cute little tomboy baby. He's like, cool. She's one. So she doesn't actually have a gender of her own yet. So why would we be um, removing the options of femininity from from her? Riley at age three already had a gender. He like knew what clothes he wanted to wear. Oh, the yeah. older brother. Mm-hmm. She didn't. So he was like, why would we only be putting her in, in tomboy, like boyish clothes? Um, and for me, I was like, well, because I don't want to force femininity on her the way that it's forced upon girls all over. And he's like, cool. I think that's incredibly sexist <laughs> because inherent in that argument is that femininity is bad. Huh. So we wouldn't want to put, give femininity to her because it's bad. Yeah. He's like, and I find that incredibly problematic and femphobic and sexist um, because she should have all of the options available to her, including like fairies and princesses because femininity can also be empowering and powerful and wonderful um, and sacred. And so I had to do some soul searching myself to be like, Oh shit, <laughs> he's right. And like, I'm putting my own experience of femininity onto her, yeah, which I don't have any right to do as her parent. Um, which is all parenting is, is like figuring out when you're putting your shit onto your kids and when you need to back up and let them have their own experience of the world. Um, yeah. So then pretty much from that conversation forward, we gave her like the full range of fun things to play with and wear. And, and like to this day, she's seven and like a fully actualized human being, um, who teaches me more than I teach her. Um, and she is just like, she will totally wear like a star Wars shirt and like a glittery tutu. (laughs) Like she is just like fully, fully empowered across the gender spectrum. Uh Um, yeah. And she's like, I don't, believe in girl things or boy things there's just awesome things and that's what i like oh my god that's her (laughs) how much does that come from you talking to her about gender and how much of that is just her personality who knows wow but some kids i've noticed and i have a lot of kids in my life i've always had kids in my life that it does seem that kids generally fall into one of two categories kids who are really influenced by you and kids who just like show up in the world and you just try to like be the guardrails yeah. to like not let them hurt themselves, but like they're already themselves. Yeah. And that was her. Like she's always just been herself. Whereas her brother is very influenced by the world and by our parenting and by what he sees. Um, and we'll see what the, the third kid who's now, I mean, he's just a baby, so we don't know what he is yet. How um, old is he? Nine months. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He's just, he's just everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's hard to say. I mean, it's, I, I believe that Haley, my daughter would probably have been the same in any family. We're just lucky to have her instead of the other way around. Do you know what I mean? She's yeah. not like lucky to have us because <laughs> I think she would have thrived 
and not giving a shit in any family. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So you brought up princesses and fairies. Yeah. Did you enjoy princesses and fairies when you were a kid? I mean, I was raised in a feminist household where we had all the toys uh-huh. and and um and like we totally had Barbies and we totally had GI Joes and we totally had cars. So like we all played all of the things. Um but I still think my experience of being trans has given me that outsider's perspective to be like, oh, wow, we really force princess shit down girls' throats. And I do think that one of the reasons that it took me so long to come to my realization that I was trans is because I really was interested in what other people thought of me and like what boys liked, you know? So I was like, oh, cool, I can do that. I can put on dresses and makeup and like pretend to be those things, no problem. Um, without it ever occurring to me, like, oh, do I want to do those things? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a uniquely, a uniquely feminine experience of the world. Yeah. Um, and then, I, and I didn't want her to have that, those expectations put on her and value placed on her when she was pretty versus other things, whatever. But we try to be super balanced. So we won't like never tell her she's beautiful. And that was my approach when she first came to live with us. Is I was like, no, this is my parenting philosophy. I only want her to be recognized for how smart she is, how brave she is. And Biff is like, that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> He's like, I mean, you can do that if you want, but I'm that's so dumb. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and he was just like, but she is beautiful. On top of all the other things that she is, I'm like, why would we pretend that that's not real? Yeah. I don't. and it's not at all I mean it is about how she looks but it's also not about how she looks you know she's a beautiful person she's confident you know she puts energy and effort into she takes care of herself you know what I mean she like bathes she wants to like brush her hair and get a little dyed streak in it she wants to do fun braids you know she takes confidence in in how she looks and how she tells the world who she is so I was like all right (laughs) it's a good thing that I married someone who's super smart (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> uh, I had a lot of foolish ideas going on, but he's very practical. So, um, are there any resources that you like to share with people, books, movies? I mean, there are anything? lots of, now there's a really amazing emerging field in sort of like pro trans gender diverse kids books. Oh yeah. So, I mean, the, the one that gets cited most frequently is Corey Silverberg's what makes a baby. And it is a book about where babies come from for like ages three to five. So Mm -hmm. not intercourse at all. And it's the first completely gender free book on procreation. Wow. So it's just full on. Like you need three things to make a baby. You need sperm. Some bodies have sperm. Some don't. You need eggs. Some bodies have eggs. Some don't. You need a uterus. Some bodies have a uterus and some don't. And so that it's those three separate parts. So, um, and it says like when, like an egg carries all the stories of all the places it's ever been. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and so does the sperm. And then when they come together, they do a special dance. And by the end of the dance, they contain all the stories. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And raising adopted kids. It's, it is like, you want a way to be able to say, you know, you can't contain all these other stories from your biological family and all the stories from our family too. So yeah. And it's great for surrogacy as well, because it separates out the uterus from the eggs. So it's like you need these these two things come together, and then they need a place to grow, and that's a uterus. So if you're a surrogacy family, an adoptive family, grandparents raising kids, oh, it's so good. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And it does that. talk about pregnancy in the nine months of the state. It's all that science stuff too, which we still went back to throughout my pregnancy because the kids were like, what's happening now? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a really good book. And then they made a second book called sex is a funny word for older kids, like seven to 10. Uh-huh. Um, again, not intercourse, but exploring your body, figuring out what feels good and what doesn't. Oh. Here's what penises look like. And their drawings wow. in like purple and green as well. So they're like completely race neutral. Huh. Um, yeah. And so they show like, here are all different kinds of penises and some, here's what circumcision is. And some look like this and some look like that. Totally value neutral. Here's what boobs, boobs could look like, or, you know, here's what nipples look like and here's what they're for. And, um, here's what buttholes look like <laughs> and here's what they're for, you know? So it's, it's really, that's a really good one. So we use that for the shit. I need to be using that with Haley soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I'm in some brand in deep denial about that. Yeah. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Tristan go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite even to ask our best friends. So here we go. Favorite sex position. Oh, all of them. 
I have a very, very fulfilling and satisfying intimate life with my partner. So I don't think that I could pick one truly. Uh, all of them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Favorite sex toy? Yeah. I don't even have any anymore. <laughs> I had like a huge box when we got together and then slowly the box just sort of dwindled and now it just isn't. And like, I don't, it sounds so boring, but like, I don't actually need any more sex toys because I have a skilled partner. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like we happen to be compatible in that way that yeah. probably then just like lube. How much noise do you make during sex? A lot. It's a problem with the kids. <laughs> yep. Kind of really tamp it down. And then when we're in a hotel, I'm like, yes. <laughs> it's one of the many, especially when for me being raised as a girl, it's very, very difficult for me to just outright say, I don't like that. Or even, yes, I like that. And so I feel like, uh, like sounds are another way that I can convey what's working and what is not working. I am with you on that. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> um, is your sex drive higher, lower, or well-matched with your partner? Oh, much higher. Yes. Has always been. Except when I was off testosterone for a year, trying to have a baby. Yeah. Do you schedule sex or do you prefer to be spontaneous? I prefer to be both. I prefer to be spontaneous, but we have kids and my partner's a stay-at-home parent. Uh -huh. So he is excellent at managing his own emotional and physical capacity throughout a day. So if by the end of the day, I have not said, hey, do you think that we could do it tonight? He just doesn't have enough uh -huh. reserves for me. So we have to plan out ahead of time so he knows to pace himself throughout the day so he has a little bit left over for me at, at night. Oh, that's a fascinating thing. I wonder how many, it, because it's traditionally the female half of the couple who is the stay-at-home parent if someone is, yeah. how many women would even know, think to do that? Yep. And it does mean like, okay, fine. Well, then he didn't do the, all the laundry that day because he wanted to have some something left of himself to give at the end of the night for me. Cool. I will do the laundry. Like that seems totally fair. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm just doing a job job. <laughs> I don't have like human beings literally clinging to my body for a good chunk of my day <laughs> demanding things from me. Um, yeah. So I try to fill in those gaps so that hopefully he has some reserves left for me at the end of the day. And sometimes he doesn't and that's okay too. Awesome. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks. Thank oh, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here hoping I was okay. <laughs> You're fantastic. <laughs> That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. 
Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>